Hi, my name's Kay. I'm the clinical nurse consultant for hand surgery at Sydney Hospital and Sydney Eye Hospital. Hi, I'm Nav. I'm a hand surgeon at Sydney Hospital. We're going to start um, to provide hand surgery podcasts over the next um, year or so. Um, and this is the very first one. So our intended audience would be nurses looking after patients who have had hand surgery or who have an interest in hand surgery or nurses who are working in a clinic situation. Um, anything where a, a pa you're looking after a patient who has a, a hand injury. So today's first podcast, we're going to focus on post-op pain management. So we've got a scenario for you. Then we're just going to go through some background and, and our thought processes of how you would manage the pain for this person. And then thinking about um, discharging the patient, what we need to think about. So we'll start off with the scenario. I'll hand over to Nav. So the scenario we've come up with is a patient, uh, patient X. She's a female in her 50s. She's come out of surgery a couple of hours ago for a correction of the ulna, so an ulna shortening osteotomy. Um, she's just pressed a buzzer now and asked for the nurse looking after her and saying that she's in pain. And so what are the some of the things you'd want to know, Kay, um, in managing this patient? Well, I think the, the background, first of all, we need to know um, if she, it's just happened, she's just come out of surgery, so um, usually the patient would have a block active, so you would be thinking, what is there anything else happening with this lady? Um, is there a mental health um, background? Is there a substance use background? Um, any other histories that are relevant? Um, maybe there's some chronic pain that we don't know about. The pain might not even be associated at this point with her arm, with her operated arm. So we have to do that thorough assessment, knowing what's, um, what the lady's, the past medical history is. And I'll stop you there, Kay. I think that's really important. Um, hand surgery patients in particular often do have a regional anaesthetic or a block, which is different to most other surgical candidates or surgical patients. Uh, and the difference is often they will be very well controlled in their pain coming out of surgery. And depending on the speed of the block wearing off, some are short acting blocks, some are long acting blocks, um, they will have that resurgence of pain as the block wears off. Can I ask you, how does a nurse know if it's a long acting or a short acting? I think that's really difficult and it depends on the agent used in the block. Often that will be on the anesthetic chart. Yep. Um, so some of the shorter acting blocks would be used with lignocaine and right. then the longer acting blocks would be repivocaine, um, which typically lasts somewhere between eight and 10 hours. Whereas the shorter acting ones are usually two to three hours. Okay, because I know the, the patients who often have the long acting blocks, it tends to wear off at like In the middle two, of the night. 2 exactly. a.m., 3 a.m. Exactly. And it hits them like a ton of bricks. It's ridiculous. Exactly. And so in a way, you sort of expect that resurgence of pain when the block wears off. And that block wearing off can be variable. But that is unique to hand patients, that most of them do have a regional anesthetic, i.e. a block. Yep. that will wear off at some stage and they'll have that resurgence of pain when the block wears off. And a lot of the time it would be good to get ahead of that block wearing off, um, which does come into sort of the anaesthetic management and charting uh, painkillers, preempting that block wearing off, which is sometimes done, but not done all the time. Yeah, yeah. So I guess like going back to our, our lady, like having that, knowing what, what background she's had and if, if she's pressing her buzzer straight away after the surgery, 
we don't know what kind of block and we don't know what type of pain it is. So I guess then we, we have to go to see her. Exactly. And actually have, an, actually have an assessment of, of what's happening with her and actually have a look at what medication she's got charted. Mm. But I guess actually having a look at and investigating her arm. Yeah. And, and looking at her and um, maybe if she's finding out where the pain is. If it is definitely coming from her arm, well, we need to have a look at that. Yeah. Uh, I think also on the topic of sort of looking at her background and looking at the block, um, I, one of the things you touched upon before would be the history of um, pain tolerance, substance abuse, mental health conditions. And I think, you know, everyone's obviously very different in their um, tolerance of pain. Mm. And recognizing patients who are less tolerant of pain, um, whether it be history of sort of chronic pain conditions or history of uh, mental health um, conditions or substance abuse, they are patients often that are primed um, to have more of a pain response. Mm. And I think managing those patients can be trickier for sure. And yeah. I think need a different approach to management um, than patients who are maybe a bit more pain naive. Yeah, yeah. I, I would agree and I, I certainly in my career I've seen where people have been admitted with a substance use history mm. where they've almost been denied medications because of their or given lower amounts of medication and they can't um, they're used to that and so me methadone patients the yes. classic ones you know they've yeah. got such a high pain tolerance um, that pain really affects them a lot more than patients who are, you know, pain naive. Yeah, absolutely. So it's looking at that whole picture. That's it. So I think the background is really important, um, getting to know your patient, um, as well as the type of surgery they've had, whether they've had a block, you know, they will not all have blocks. Some of them will be just general anesthetics, um, but just uh, being aware of that block wearing off and resurgence of pain. Um, yeah. And then what you were saying next, I think, is really important. Looking at the arm. What, what are the So, But I think before we get to actually looking at the arm, it's like having that question to the patient, describe your pain to me. How yeah. does it feel? What What is happening? Tell me what it feels like. Is it a sharp pain, a stabbing pain, throbbing, a tightness? What? Describe it to me. And then quantifying it as well. Like, yeah. how bad is it? Yeah. And, and, I, and I think we're used to asking kind of questions, but the simple scale questions hmm. using a visual analog scale hmm. not to 10 hmm. how bad is it um zero no pain 10 is the worst pain you can imagine tell me what it's like yeah uh, and using that scale throughout the the admission is helpful because it's useful to also uh assess their response to analgesia um, absolutely yeah so we're now looking at the arm yes. and i guess things you, you need to you know you actually need to touch the, the, the arm, most most hand patients when they come out of surgery have got a backstab on, majority mm. of them, not all the time. But you need to see if that's too tight. It's been mm. applied too tight, if there's a lot of swelling there. Talking of swelling, is it elevated? We just got the arm hanging down, flat, way below heart level. Is an amount of swelling that we need to manage? And Does, just on that, just before we proceed, like swelling is um, very much um, gravity dependent um, mm. a lot of the time and so having a, a dependent arm will mean that the blood and the swelling will rush towards the tips of your fingers and often exacerbate pain causing a throbbing type of pain yeah whereas elevation can be a very simple way of relieving the swelling and pain associated so what, with that can i ask from your um your your own perspective two pillows like a, like almost like a ski ramp or gallows um, sling. What's what's preferred? 
I don't think there's any right answer to that. Uh, it depends very much on the surgery uh, performed, uh, the concern for swelling. And then in some, in some cases, uh, you wouldn't want a lot of elevation. Um, and we'll get to that in later yeah. podcasts. But, but generally, for me, just a couple of pillows, just so it's above their heart level. Because I find when we do try to get into gallows, the can be patient, uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah, and the patient's uncomfortable. Yeah. And then we start causing some, you know, referred pain around mm. the, the neck stiffness. Especially if a, they've got a stiff shoulder or a stiff yeah. elbow. For me, I think a couple of pillows, so it's above heart level, is yep. enough for most patients. If I am particularly concerned, I will write gallows sling. Yeah. Okay. So we, we, we're looking at the arm, we're, we're having a feel, and it, there's no tightness noticed mm. that we can see in this in our scenario now. But if there was tightness, if we, you know, tightness, I can't get my a finger down in, between the, the cast and the, the skin, and it looks evidently swollen, feelings there I could potentially try to elevate more if it wasn't but if it was already well elevated I probably would be thinking at this point maybe the need to cut down yeah um, I, I, I definitely agree with you and it's it's just that old uh, mantra of ricing it resting it icing it um, it's already compressed and elevations the big key yeah um, so elevation would be the key to managing swelling maybe a ice pack um, in some circumstances and then if you are concerned that it is too tight, I think splitting the bandages. But I think that is one that you'd want to escalate before making that yeah, decision. Yeah. And I suppose we talk, you know, often about the, the type of surgery. So big versus small. Yes. If you've got a patient who's just had an, you know, a tiny laceration with no structures involved. Yes. And it's the skin. Yeah. And, and they're in intense pain compared to somebody who's had... A bony operation that yep. we know is going to have more pain. Yep, that's like, it exactly. Knowing, ha having that differentiation as well. Yeah, and then uh, if it is a bigger surgery, you know, you do expect a greater level of pain, but it's also a greater threshold for concern if they have significant pain, because there are other things that can be causing pain. And again, we'll get to them in different podcasts. But compartment syndrome being a potential yep. cause of that pain or compression of uh, vessels, uh, like an ischemic hand being a, a cause of that pain. Yeah. Um, and that, those are things that need to be assessed as well with neurovascular and potentially looking for a compartment syndrome as absolutely. differentiators of uh, a sinister pain. Yeah, absolutely. And like we said, we'll cover those in the, in the coming weeks. Um, so elevation, we're going to do all of that. So now looking at the actual what's charted for this lady, hmm. we would hope our best hope would be to have regular analgesia charted, but it's, it's assessing what's written up regularly and what is requested from a PRN perspective. Um, and if there's nothing charted regularly and it's all PRN, I think that's something that we need to address and, and ask them, the medical staff to, to chart regular. Is that something that you would think about as well? Yeah, I think, again, it depends on the patient you're treating. Patients who are predisposed to pain or have had bigger procedures, I think regular energies are getting ahead of pain is really important. Um, and so in terms of getting ahead of pain, it is that pain letter, um, starting with simple analgesia like paracetamol, escalating to an NSAID, a non-steroidal, if they tolerate it, if they don't have gastric ulcers or reflux or kidney problems, and then using opioids when there's uh, additional pain as a breakthrough. 
Yeah. Um, certainly opioids um, are contentious. Some people are very be much believers of opioid use when necessary. Others um, don't think opioids should be prescribed. My philosophy is that, look, as, as a form of breakthrough pain, they are a very effective uh, management option. Um, and certainly in patients who do have additional pain despite paracetamol and non-steroidals, I think a short course of opioids is a good idea for those patients. Yeah. Um, keeping in mind that at the same time, you don't want long-term opioids or opioid dependence. And that is, you know, a topical issue at the moment. Absolutely, absolutely. And something that we'd be mindful of is for acute pain, we wouldn't necessarily be charting slow release or modified release opioids. Um, and certainly if a patient hasn't had any opioids while they've been in the hospital, we wouldn't be discharging them with those. And they're just things that we should be considering. Um, and I think just going back to the, um, the, the, the patient education, because often you say, we're going to give you some paracetamol and, and a response is often, it does nothing. Mm -hmm. I take no point giving me paracetamol because it's, it's a waste of time. And I think that's when you take a one-off dose. Mm -hmm. Um, maybe trying to combat a headache or something where you, if you take in paracetamol regularly mm. I find that that's a quite effective medication and we just need to provide that education it's a regular analgesia not a one-off forget about it and the and same for the non-steroidals as well and they're all synergistic as well it's the idea that one plus one equals three so even on its own if it's not doing a whole lot it enhances the effect of the other analgesia that's been given that's right so you wouldn't you wouldn't necessarily or you wouldn't go straight to an opiate mm. without trying the simple analgesia because it helps that effect of the the opiate exactly so it is very much escalating through the pain ladder like starting yeah. simple and escalating as required yeah what's your best hope from a from a, a treating consultant what your patients would like to have charted what would you like to see charted so I think it depends. It goes back to the background and the uh, scale of the operation. If I am, um, if it is a bigger procedure or a patient that has a history of pain tolerance, um, then what I'd like to see charted would be regular paracetamol, a non-steroidal of some kind. Um, it doesn't matter really which one, and then uh, breakthrough opioid. And for me, I, I prefer tapentadol as a newer um, generation of opioids, but endone um, as sort of the mainstay for the past 10 or 15 years is also completely okay. Yeah. I think with the patients who are maybe being discharged on the same day or a smaller procedure, just paracetamol and, and non-steroidal is probably okay. They probably yeah. don't need that escalation to an opioid. And like we touched on earlier, with those people who are going home the same day, often their block is fully active when mm. they're going home. Yes. So it's that key for patient education that when that block wears off, which could be anytime yes. we don't know because yeah. yeah. everybody's different and every um, metabolizes the anesthetic differently i guess when they start feeling that pins and needles and to, to actually take the medication but really to get on board before that exactly get home take the paracetamol so they're they're ahead of their block wearing off i think so much of what we do is patient education and mm. communication um because, you know, you imagine yourself in the patient's shoes, if they don't know that the block's gonna wear off and then there's gonna be such resurgence of pain, like obviously if I'd be concerned, like why is my arm so sore now? But just having a, a brief conversation with them, telling them what to expect and what to do when they do have that resurgence of pain, I think goes a really long way. Absolutely. And then just yep. emphasizing elevation as well and keeping the digits moving to help pump the blood um, back into the arm. Absolutely. Can I just ask you a question just about non-steroidals? Because sometimes you hear that um, some surgeries they shouldn't have non-steroidals because it can affect the healing. Is that 
Is that right or? I think that's an older school of thought and that's largely uh, been put to one side. Um, I think it's a really effective way to manage pain in patients who can tolerate Ponsteroidals. Yeah. Not, not everyone can, but um, I think those who can, it's a really good management plan. Yeah, perfect. Cool. Um, so just to summarise, what we've talked about is uh, managing pain post-operatively. Uh, things to do would be assess the patient um, in their background, history of potentially mental health conditions, substance abuse, um, what type of surgery they've had and whether they've had regional anaesthetic, a block, and whether that's a short-acting or long-acting block. The next thing to do would be look at their analgesia and what's charted, um, whether it's regular or whether it's PRN and what the, uh, what the analgesia is that's charted. Assess the arm, look for swelling, um, look at uh, look at the vascularity of the arm, um, elevate it as a, as a first step if it is swollen, um, and consider releasing the bandages if you are worried that they are too tight. But obviously, in relation to all of that, if we're worried, we, we escalation. We, we escalate Absolutely. to the to our treating team and have conversations. And then very much a focus on patient education, um, explaining the nature of the surgery, um, explaining that you know often it is a regional anaesthetic, and explaining the pain management plan, um, and escalating the need for analgesia if it's not charted. Excellent. Thanks, Nav. All right, we'll do it again next month. Absolutely. Okie dokie.